0: Welcome to the Kumbaya Podcast, the whole woman's resource. I am Dr. Amanda Shipley, a pelvic physical therapist who is passionate about prevention and supporting women along their holistic health journey. Today I am speaking with Patty Schmidt of PLS Yoga. In her formal training, Patty has devoted herself to the therapeutic application of yoga for pelvic health and wellness. She teaches pre and postnatal yoga, with a focus on core and pelvic health throughout Atlanta and also works privately with clients living with pelvic dysfunction and disease. We talk about what she sees most of her clients dealing with and her suggestions for preventing dysfunction and pain long-term. Patty speaks about everything coming back to the pelvis and how well our body functions is based on that central hub being healthy, strong, you know, and balanced. We talk about everything toileting, parenting, you name it. She has some great podcasts and book recommendations as well. And I'll include those in the show notes. This is a great episode to check out no matter what your experience level or knowledge of yoga is. Visit me at kumbayallpodcast.com if you want to check out the show notes for this episode. We will have links to Patty's website and the resources she refers to, and I would love to hear from you. You can email your questions, comments, or any ideas for future episodes to hello at kumbayallpodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Patty. Thank hey. you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here with me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Now, I would love to begin by having you tell us your story. Um, you know, it's
1: never straightforward coming to yoga. <laughs> and um, like many moms, it's a return to something that began before I had children and became more important after. Um I had been practicing yoga for nearly 20 years, over 20 years at this point, and had this other life in academia. I began practicing yoga as a way of dealing with stress in graduate school, as I did my doctoral work, and um, for a while, yoga was sort of um, complicit in unhealthy patterns of disciplining my body and over-exercising and really not serving me well and then it began to refuse to participate and the rich tradition of yoga practice and meditation and breath work began to help me heal and I did even at that time consider going into yoga therapy but um, pursued sort of stayed on the train had a life in academia Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and yoga was kind of with me through that whole journey Um, the loss of a parent, a couple miscarriages, international moves, tough job. And I kept coming back to my mat with different bodily needs, different emotional needs Mm. and learning the very, through my own experience, learning the very real ways in which yoga could adapt and change and continue to serve me. Mm. Um, and so when I left academia, I began working at a charity serving women and children living with HIV as a chronic illness rather than a terminal one. And yoga was a key component of the wellness program at the center where I worked in central London. And it was really then that I began to be so focused on yoga as a therapeutic practice and the ways in which it could serve people living with dis-ease and unease in mm-hmm. the body, coming out of trauma um, and, and various other life experiences. We moved to California And I began to train in earnest to work with what I thought was gonna be uh, yoga therapeutics for people living with HIV. Mm. And that came more and more focused on the pelvis, Mm. more and more focused on pelvic health. And um, throughout my training then the next few years I just stayed super focused on uh, yoga for pelvic health and wellness. And now my practice as a yoga therapist is much more diverse Because when we work in the pelvis, we see it as the hub. Um, And so I serve people living with problems all out from those spokes. Knees, hips, lower back, breath, always, even jaw and shoulders. Right. But it often comes back to the
0: pelvis. So that's sort of my brief story. It's amazing. So what... um I, I was one that had not known about yoga pelvic health specialists. You know, that's a specialty within the umbrella of yoga. Right. So if you can talk to us a little bit about the schooling and the training that you went to, through to do the yoga.
1: Absolutely. So um, I have, you know, standard trainings, a 200-hour, a 500-hour that make me a registered yoga teacher. Okay. Um, but in each of those, I've begun to, because I was fortunate enough to come to it a little bit later in life, and to come to it with other experiences, I have known from right from that beginning that I wanted to focus on the pelvis. So even in my 200-hour certification, which many people have these days, I was starting to be very single-focused on pelvic health. Um, at that stage, it might have meant that I was looking most at posture sequences and um, anatomy and physiology of the pelvis. And then I, as I began to work privately with clients and to teach yoga therapeutic classes, I began to really put together training that I knew I needed to serve my clients best. Mm -hmm. So I have yoga for cancer survivors, um, training in restorative practices and long held practices, training that targets the connective tissue and fascial lines of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, training that helps me understand, um, drugs, And other uh, medications that people would need to take for pelvic uh, conditions and or hormone conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then also we have, we are very fortunate that we have a few yoga masters who've really dedicated themselves to pelvic health and how yoga can serve that. Mm. And I've taken the highest level of training that I can with them.
0: Nice. Where are they located? Are they?
1: Um, One of the most well-known teachers is Leslie Howard in California. Okay. And I have studied extensively with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've pursued yoga therapeutic practices with other therapists that relate to pelvic health
0: as well. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: It's a lot of training. Yeah. And if just... Briefly, what I do see as a practicing yoga teacher is that a lot of yoga teachers who come out with a 200-hour level training are um, taught that they are ready to teach, mm. and they're ready to practice teaching, but they they um, in in addition to however else they might make their clients and yoga participants feel, they themselves feel really in underprepared. Mm. And um, it's important to to really note your teacher's
0: level of training, and how it can serve you. That's important, I think, to say because I have never looked at that or considered that. And if you're thinking of people who even just go to like an LA fitness, or they, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and they should really be seeing someone like you, someone with higher level training, advanced training, more experience. That's a big distinction to make, right? It's a huge distinction. And also, um, you know, you will hear from well-meaning
1: care pro- care providers, go grab some yoga. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, one thing we know about pelvic dysfunction is that some yoga can make it worse. Mm. And that's really important, just as other movements might make it worse, like cycling or certain kinds of cross training. And so yoga also has that capacity. You really need a teacher who, who's aware of what's happening.
0: I agree. I so agree. And especially in the realm of pelvic health with PT, you know, people will say, Oh, go get some PT. You need PT from a pelvic health provider, you know, a therapist specifically trained in that because, and then if you look at someone who's, you know, just new out of grad school, they need so much mentoring. You're still learning so much in that, the beginning, just like you said, you know, with the 200 hour training, I totally can relate to that because you've, you've had your training. Great. But now you have You have so much more learning to, to, you know.
1: Absolutely. And for, you know, the young yoga teachers that are out there, you know, listening and thinking about taking this area of specialization, a mentoring program is a really good idea.
0: Oh, that's good. So they do have them. Some yoga studios do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it should be a part of your further training. If you pursue a 300 hour or a yoga therapeutic certification, Mm -hmm. you should
0: have a mentor. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And. As far as I know there are like lots of different types of yoga so that was another question I had going in like okay you mentioned restorative I know I've heard that I've heard so many different things and that's just my ignorance with yoga how how does that how do you practice or
2: yeah
1: I think I think there are actually two different questions and I think that it, your uh wondering around it just puts you in the general population because yoga in the West is so diverse and so diversified. Okay. Um, and so there are things that I definitely don't do. Um, I don't practice Bikram yoga. I tend not to heat my room mm-hmm. because I want to be able to feel what's going on in my body. Mm-hmm. And I want to be aware and alert to environmental and seasonal changes because it should Actually determine in part what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but there are also things that I do do, but maybe not every day. And so part of developing a home practice and, and sitting with your practice for a long time is that you come to a place where it should change. Mm-hmm. It should change every day. And so for a long time, I practiced, um, rigorous asana every day, rigorous postures every day. Mm-hmm. And as I've aged and I'm in my mid forties, I don't necessarily do that all the time anymore. And I see I'm better able to sit with the actual needs. I don't necessarily feel I need to push through something. Mm -hmm. Um, But also our needs change. And so we have all these different um, styles of yoga and we can decide um, what serves me. And it's really about listening each day What will nourish me? What will help me to move my joints through a full range of motion? Um, Looking at my constitutional needs. Am I feeling lethargic? Mm -hmm. Do I have excess um, dryness in my body? And how can I take a yoga practice
0: that serves that? Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. What you're talking about with honoring the body and listening to yourself Mm -hmm. and listening to what are my needs in this moment. Right. Right. You know, if, if you can get your yoga in first thing in the morning and you feel like you need to be energized or you have more energy then versus if you're doing your yoga practice at night or does it do not Absolutely. Do, you try to do it differently? Yeah,
1: I have a different practice for the evening mm-hmm. or the morning and um, I will have clients say to me, I did this really vigorous vinyasa practice, which is a flowing practice um, at like Nine o'clock last night, and then I couldn't sleep. So, yoga must be bad for me. And I'll say, you know, it's just not a nighttime practice. Mm I think we could change something here. (laughs) It's a good morning practice. It's not a great nighttime practice. And so um, understanding that for sure. But just that seems maybe more on the obvious side. But understanding that um, if it's already 100 degrees outside, maybe taking a super vigorous heating practice is not necessarily what your body needs. Mm
0: -hmm. And I love what you're saying, even just with pairing it with the seasons. Yes. I think... It speaks to something I'm trying to do is get more back in touch with the natural world and the way, you know, we've maybe meant to be. And so listening to our body and listening to how our body reacts to the changing season to go from super cold winter in Montana and then into a a Bikram yoga, maybe not.
1: Yeah, well, there's a disconnectedness that Mm -hmm. kind of pervades a lot of Western contemporary culture that I think is exacerbated by that kind of practice, Mm -hmm. um, where somehow we create an, um, usually an internal environment, uh, that's disconnected from the outside world. Um, but also that, that really comes from a very old, um, Ayurvedic approach, which Mm -hmm. is the sister science to yoga, which is that both our diet and our physical activities, which of course are linked, should complement the changing of the season Mm. and be complemented by it. And so we would change the kinds of, and amount of oil we take or grains we eat or, um, you know, and this is all in line with being, as you say, more attuned Mm. to our natural world and that we are a part of it.
0: Yeah. Is that something that you learned with your yoga training was the Ayurveda
1: part? Yes. But to be very clear, I am not an Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is having a trendy moment at Mm -hmm. the minute. But it's important to realize that it's thousands of years old, that it's, um, you know, really well respected and honored in many parts of the world as equal to allopathic medicine. And that, um, you know, there's just like anything we need to take Western Ayurveda with, um, you know, discernment and wisdom when we think about how we access it. I agree.
0: What about your work? Are you most passionate? Oh, I mean, all things, all pelvic people
1: are crazy about <laughs> the pelvis because it is such <laughs> an amazing, amazing place mm-hmm. and all roads lead. But when I reflected on, um, talking to you today, I think the thing I'm most passionate about is people's capacity for change. Mm. And, and that, um, it's the greatest gift we can allow in someone. If you mm-hmm. think about how hard it is to allow someone you know well to change, in mm-hmm. ourselves to change, and ourselves it's like
0: the capacity for change, but the resistance to it is
1: yes, well. <laughs> yes. And and I see it all the time that that um, yoga enables this rich tradition, this thread of yoga enables change. Yeah, and that is just fundamentally beautiful.
0: That's great, and. that's kind of my view of you is allowing people to get in touch with their body and tap into that inner knowledge of how to move and when to move in a way that feeds them. Maybe at least physically, but if they're open to it even more, you know, their soul, their emotion, you know.
2: Yes.
1: Well, and and I was getting all the medicine when I first started practicing yoga. I was getting all the medicine Mm -hmm. for my tissues and my organs. But, you know, I was using it in a way that that wasn't beneficial or nourishing, and eventually it just refused to comply, Mm. (laughs) which is like, I see it as like a toddler throwing a tantrum. (laughs) You cannot use me in this way.
0: Yes, yes. So um, let's get right into it. What can a person expect when they come to see you? Like, What is a session like?
1: Yeah, so I ask for all the people who are new to me to come and do an intake session with me. And for a lot of people, that is mostly a chat. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask for a medical history and also, um, you know, I'm going to talk through what your daily life looks like. So for example, if you're living in pain, I'm going to ask what kind of pain levels you're experiencing throughout the day, what you already know might make it worse or better, Mm -hmm. um, how long it's been going on. And, and also I'm going to ask you around any medications you may be taking, related to that or otherwise any other medical conditions I need to know about Mm -hmm. I need to get a full picture and um, at that time I may also ask for new clients to breathe for me to move a little to take gentle movement where I can use my eye and my knowledge to see what's going on Um, kind of quieter things that they themselves may not be able to communicate or be willing to communicate at that time and then Toward the end of that intake, mm-hmm. clients could expect that we'd make a plan together so that there's a commitment to wellness on mm-hmm. both our parts and an understanding that yoga therapy would be the next right step mm-hmm. and how long it might take. Mm-hmm. There are definitely times, and this is how I, you know, come to work with you so frequently, that yoga is not necessarily the next right step. Mm-hmm. And for for many of my clients who haven't yet seen a pelvic physical therapist, I'm going to ask them to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yoga therapy is not an internal practice. It's non-sexual in nature. It's clothed. And, and there's a, a really important um, diagnostic process that doesn't happen in yoga therapy. Mm-hmm. It happens with a doctor or a pelvic PT or both. Um, and so it's important to know that yoga therapy doesn't do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that then any process or pathway of care is one that's agreed upon discussed ahead of time made together
0: Mm. great and then how often or could you give us an example maybe of a case um or just tell us like how often you need to follow up with a client what does that look like are you they're doing a lot at home or
1: you know yoga only works if you do it i mean it's in your brain and it's in there somewhere so
0: sometimes we are just
1: planting seeds but my job as a yoga therapist is to find a way in which it can live in your life mm-hmm. with you. And so if that's a 10-minute bed yoga that happens while you're hiding out from your four children and your dog that needs feeding right when you wake up, yeah. then that's what it looks like for you for that week. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a nighttime sequence you can do while you're nursing, or if it's... Um, you know something that has to happen, propped in a chair because you have a medical condition or some kind of um, you know limit with a part of your body, then then that's what it looks like. Mm. And so the amount of time I would see you would partly depend, or the frequency with which I see you, the amount of time I see you would depend on how well you're able to integrate it into your life. Mm. So for some of my older clients, where I might be mobilizing their body. I might see them every week for a while Mm -hmm. for a, uh, otherwise pretty fit and well woman who's living with incontinence. I might see her for five or six times and those first three weeks I might see her every week and then we might move to once every couple weeks and then she might check in with me six months later. Yeah. Um, it might look more like that. Pelvic pain clients, that profile might look different still, mm-hmm. depending on how what pain looks like in their
2: daily life.
0: That's the same with us too. It's very individualized, and it's very much if you're in pain and you can't do a lot of it at home. Usually, there's more frequency to it. There's more help that's needed in the, in the you know session in the office. Right. Yeah, that makes sense
1: to me, and and also it has to do with how much people live in their body. Mm-hmm. If someone is not able to live in their body at that minute, then that becomes more difficult
0: to do on your own. Yes, for sure. And like you said, if they have a lot of experience with yoga or, you know, I mean, actually, you know, they have their, their studio they're going to in between your sessions. and
1: That's a great point. Yeah. So actually the science is there to show that um, – the yoga therapy research is there. Let me be clear: to show that people who do privates improve, mm-hmm. people who go to class improve, oh. but people who do po- both improve the most. Mm, that's powerful. It's powerful because healing happens in community. Yes, and so that's something that I, is always part of our plan. Is how do we? Um, people should graduate from me. Yes, should never stay with me. Yes. If I'm doing my work and we're working well together, you should not need me. Yeah. And that's really, that's really important. And the idea is that we get the person back to ease
2: mm-hmm. and
1: a place where they can stay in ease mm-hmm. in whichever movement choices they choose, yeah. whether it's Pilates or yoga or CrossFit. Or
0: well, and that's I just it, patient education is always close to my heart and I love how much you do educate your patients and or clients how, and um, Thank you. you know, and just empower them to to do the work in between, and to know when you're feeling this way. These are the, the movements, these are the poses or pro- asanas you call it. Asana,
1: yeah, yeah. it just means posture. <laughs> asana. asana, that's yeah, right. Yeah, the
0: asana, and that they can they can maybe go to, and so not only hear all the movements, but this is when you would choose them and help them with that kind of discovery too.
1: Yes, because we hear that a lot. People feel confused. Mm-hmm. I have clients who come out and the doctors told them one thing and the PTs told them another and, and then an um, an osteopath might have given them a couple other sets of exercises. And then there was this old thing they were doing from this online thing. And where does all this fit? And how does it fit in my day? You know, So helping them to understand, well, here's a 10 minute thing you could do. Mm -hmm. If you feel more lethargic, here's this other 10 thing you could do. Mm -hmm. And don't do both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just do one or the other.
0: And I value your knowledge too, because like you said, when you have pelvic floor conditions and pelvic floor dysfunction there are definitely some postures that put more stress on the pelvic floor there you know there's sort of there's some things where it's not just how fit you are how used to yoga you are it's you have this thing this condition this dysfunction specifically that we need to treat a little bit differently or handle you know so if yes uh, another yoga therapist may not know that with that condition
1: yes and and it's it's kind of mind-boggling that the pelvis continues to be an area that we don't um, necessarily all get trained in. I agree. And I just, I don't know that anyone can see this, but Amanda and I keep having big eyes at each other. I know. And <laughs> shaking our head. <laughs> like, you get it. Like, I know. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, again. <laughs> Things you can't see on podcasts. Yes,
0: exactly. Like my eyes are big and I'm doing a huge nod. Yeah. <laughs> My neck is sore already, We're <laughs> 10 minutes in. Um, so let's go into what are some symptoms or commonalities that you see most women having nowadays, like things that your clients are yes. dealing with?
1: Do you know what? I really wanted to just turn right around and ask you back this same question. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what you'll say after I say this, yeah. but the two things that I see most across All the range of both men and women, but especially women who I see, um, are stress levels, Mm -hmm. which are really high, which contribute to all sorts of things showing up physically Mm -hmm. and a disconnectedness in the body. And so, um, you know, we we know that um, pelvic dysfunction takes many specific Shapes right, Mm -hmm. and and I'm sure you see this in your practice. So people can have muscles that are too tight, or muscles that are too weak, or asymmetrical recruitment patterns. All of those things, Mm -hmm. and it looks so individual for Mm -hmm. each of them. But what connects it is is a disconnectedness, an an inability, an unwillingness, or a lack of permission to live in that part of their body, to breathe in that part of their body, and then a kind of constant underlying stress level Mm. that will contribute negatively to anything else that's going on. Yes. A nervous system that's just in overdrive.
0: Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think there's this idea that pelvic PTs work with people who have incontinence. Right. And and they're older patients who have incontinence. Oh, yeah. And and people ask, I have patients ask me, well, what, you know, what do you see? Who do you normally work with? And the majority of my practice is younger women, middle-aged women in pain. You right, mean? And then the second thing I would say is that you hit the nail on the head, the disconnectedness. It's it's that stress level, that inability to um, know how they're thinking and how they're going through life is affecting how their body is feeling, that connection between the mind and the body, and, and really just an overall awareness of their body when it comes to the pelvic floor and how that's important and related to everything else. I feel like that, that disconnectedness and that lack of awareness is is huge and is pervasive.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. I totally. And I was thinking, I was reflecting on it, thinking a little bit more about why that is. And of course, you'll hear this, and I hear it in all the histories I take with clients, which is that right from the very beginning of our lives, as we learn to toilet, as we learn to eat, we are... Um, you know, often with really good intentions, I'm a parent myself, you're a parent, mm-hmm. we, we do the best we can,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it's usually really imperfect, but, um, you know, where we are, that disconnectedness happens at a really early age, do this just in case, P, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one that if I could, if I could shift anything parenting-wise, and I'm going to start a preschool program for yes. toileting, <laughs> Um <laughs> You know, is, is asking children to check in with their bodies yes, rather than just go pee. Well, just go because we got to get in the car. Right. You know?
0: And I don't trust you to listen to your body. And I don't
1: trust you. And, and as a parent asking ourselves, so what if I had to stop the car? And what if my child had an accident and how tied up questions of self-worth and love are in, in what we put at stake around things that happen in our pelvis? Mm -hmm. You know, it's our digestive system, our urinary system, our, our sexual and reproductive life all live there. Yes. And so right from a very early age, we begin these dichotomies around clean, dirty, um, time, no time. You know, and it just sets up all this black and white thinking around what lives in the pelvis. And ultimately, it ends up that for many people, it's just easier not to live there. Right.
0: (laughs) I'd just rather not live there. Right. Or I I think even checking in with your body at all. So you think of children, like, and I I catch myself routinely, oh, please, honey, just have one more bite of food. Just eat one more bite. And it's the same thing. I don't know if she's hungry, if she's full. And so I really, really try hard to say, honey, check in with your tummy. Is it still hungry? Okay. It's time for bed and I don't want you to be hungry when you have to, it's time to sleep. It, you know, so we have these conversations and, and she does, you know, sometimes she'll come back and take a couple bites and sometimes she'll say, I'm full. And then I say, okay. Okay. But if, she, you know, but it's so hard because I get stressed that she will be hungry if she, you know, doesn't yeah. eat and she's playing and she's distracted and not focusing on her food. But the same thing with, with and now I'm a little bit better with a potty, you know, with the toilet. It's because it's your thing. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) My poor husband. (laughs) He's like, okay, already, we know it's called a vulva. (laughs) Yes. You know, she knows that word. She's been saying it for a while. Yes. Awesome. um, (laughs) But yeah, it, 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 like, and like that point, I mean, there's, we don't even teach our children the ways to talk about their body. So we don't have issues with telling someone that this part is called an elbow or a shoulder. Right. And yet it's, it's, you know, all whatever name that your family comes up with for your private parts and right your pp and your and all these things it's just it's it's pervasive in that it it's just yeah it's not good
1: well it just contributes to disconnectedness Mm -hmm. and the outcome is that we can't even see especially for women i think it's true of men actually as well Mm -hmm. my male clients that that the muscles that live in the pelvis are just like any other muscle in the body somehow with all of this disconnectedness we we believe that they function differently from other muscles Mm -hmm. and actually it's the same kind of muscle we need that elastic muscle Mm -hmm. just like we need it in our arm and our hand and our leg but we cannot seem to get our heads around that right and that's part of what we do in yoga is try to understand and i know in pelvic pt too is to try to understand That those muscles need to function in the same way. Yes. That they need
0: elasticity. Yes. What resources have you found that you like to share with your clients?
1: It's such a good question. And I realized that I make really diverse suggestions because, um, again, it's about getting the yoga in any way I can. Right. And so if you love podcasts, I'm going to find you a podcast. And there's a great meditation podcast by a local Atlanta teacher named Meryl Arnett. It's Mm. called the mindful minute. That's awesome. Um, if you are constantly on Instagram, I'm going to send you a feed that has awesome sequencing that, or that I think might, um, give you powerful images that I know will resonate with you. Mm. Um, maybe around body image or, uh, things your body can do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, I really like Katie Bowman's Uh website, Nutritious Movement, Mm -hmm. because I like that she wants people to move in ways that feel good to them. I see clients who do Pilates. I see clients who do yoga. I see clients who do CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And so I don't imagine that someone who loves CrossFit is suddenly going to take
0: yoga classes every day. Right,
1: That doesn't happen.
0: Or give up CrossFit for yoga. It feels different. Right.
1: It feels different. And me imagining that that's going to happen is not serving my client. And so when I recommend resources, I really try to take that into account. Mm -hmm. How is this going to be received?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Because ultimately I want to get the message. And then the other book I love is that tiny little spiral book, Why Pelvic Pain Hurts. Mm, Yes. And for some reason, that measuring cup picture in there where people begin to understand their pain levels as a kind of threshold that needs to be kept very low Mm -hmm. really resonates with people. Mm -hmm. I love Leslie Howard's book, Pelvic Liberation. Okay. Um, you know, there are great resources out there and it's about finding one that's going to resonate. Yeah.
0: well, those are wonderful. I'll put those in the show notes and Katie Bowman is after my heart too. I tell everyone about her, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've not taken any classes with her, but everything I no, have I read, haven't either. Yeah. Everything I've read, um, by her is, is I agree with it. And you know, she's not a PT, but she knows her stuff and she puts some really great information out there in the world and videos and content and it's so helpful and it's so positive. And it's so positive.
1: Yes. It's so positive. And it's very, um, it's kind of exercise. It, well, it, it, it will catch anybody, no matter what your preferences Mm -hmm. are around how you move your body. She just wants you to move. Right. And it gets to something you and I have talked about in the past, which is preventative steps. Yes. And she's big on that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to find within our daily life patterns of movement that disrupt
0: habitual
1: um, ways of holding Mm -hmm. that cause pain and illness.
0: Is that what you would say if I were to ask you, what would you say for prevention with with your clients? Do you normally... Is that very individualized as well? Looking at how they hold or how they are. No, and then and then saying, okay, let's let's do a movement that's going to counterbalance. No, isn't that awful?
1: I guess that I could probably generalize. Okay, great. Clean up your posture. Yeah, clean and move more. Okay, and clean up your posture. You know, and um, and then I would. I, I'm gonna um, mess it up because I'm just paraphrasing, but I love that quote from Ina Mae Gaskin. Mm. Um, And she's talking about a pregnant body, but it applies to each of us, which is that um, she writes, I highly recommend that you begin to love your body. Mm. The creator, your body is not a lemon, she writes. And the creator, whatever you believe, is not a a failed mechanic. Mm Mm-hmm you know and and to there are so many other messages we receive, especially as Western women about um, needing to fix something in our body yes and so believing that it's already okay that you can love it mm-hmm. just as it is breathe into it it's ultimately yoga's promise um, but I think that it's
0: it's really powerful and probably the beginning of healing and preventative
1: work for each of us
0: that it makes me think of something that i tell all my patients especially the ones with pain is that your body is working with you every moment of every day it's trying to heal it's trying to and i'm hearing you say that you know that you know trust our body love our body accept our body listen to our body and then back when we were talking at the beginning of the of our time today when you're saying, oh, exercise used to be a punishment. It used to be, you know, and I think so many people have that where I am trying to be healthy and I'm going to check this box and there's not that inward checking in to see what do you need, what's actually going to be healthy and supporting for you right now. And I I think that's so powerful of, of just trusting your body, knowing it's not a lemon, you know, you can do this. Your body's trying to help you at every moment. Especially when you have pain, you you know you just kind of start to hate. And in, in my patients, at least, voice that they say they think their bodies are out to get them, or, you know, or they're just yes. failed them. They've. You know. I see
1: that all the time. It sets up this adversarial relationship. Chronic pain sets up an adversarial relationship between the person who's living it and their own body. Mm-hmm. And also, we know from the most current research on the science of pain that a brain living with chronic pain is super noisy. And so one of the ways that I help talk, well, that I talk to clients and and I direct them towards research that will help them understand this is that we want to quiet the body's nervous system enough so that all of that white noise of chronic pain can quiet down Mm. enough so that when the body, sends those useful messages and works with you you can receive them you yes. can hear them yes you know but when we're living in chronic pain it's way too noisy to hear those useful messages
2: mm-hmm. they get lost mm-hmm.
1: and so it's like a really loud restaurant or something and you can't hear the person opposite you and that's your body yes, wanting to have a nice dinner <laughs> and a glass of wine, nice <laughs> conversation. You know? Yeah, I'm like oh, actually, this message from your hip is really important, but you're missing it yes. because everything is screaming at you.
0: Yes, yeah. So, what postures you said thinking of prevention and um, what you recommend to your clients? Clean up your posture and move more. What what do you see with posture?
1: So that needs to
0: be cleaned up. I guess
1: many people live in that tucked position, yeah. and this means that
0: your your uh, lower part for those of
1: you who aren't pelvic geeks like us, you know, it's it's that you're going to be um, scooping your buttocks kind of under and dropping your tailbone down and the top of your hip will point back in space. And so what this does is it closes off space in your pelvis. It means that your organs can't function as well. It means that your muscles can't do their job. And it means that there's no place for the breath. It will complicate things like childbirth, it will um, make uh, it will contribute to pain conditions mm-hmm. like trouble sitting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it will um, contribute to lower back issues, knee and hip issues. And so if we can just start with finding an untucked and neutral pelvis, it sounds so simple, but of course, we know that it's not simple to carry on through our day, through our movements yes. in that position and especially through our seatedness in that position. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I mean by clean up your posture. Bring awareness. And actually, even then, I'm using language that's not helpful. Mm. Clean, dirty is not a helpful oh, distinction. Yeah. And so attend to. Mm-hmm.
0: Be in your
1: posture. Be in that part of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, Be aware of it.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just having this conversation with um, another Pilates instructor, and we were chatting just about this like and she was asking me do you have patients have, you know clients flatten their back to teach them to posteriorly tilt their to pelvis and i said no mm-hmm. no we need to be teaching people neutral spine and how to go through their days in neutral spine not that they're not going to go out of that for movements for points of time and and movements but yeah the, and i just remember early in my practice that We used to teach people every time we do a bridge, which is you're on your back, your knees are bent, and you're lifting your hips up into the air. I would tell people, okay, flatten your back and lift up. Now, there are certain conditions that that would be good for, maybe stenosis or trying to open up. You know, the space in the back, great, but not as a general rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Everyone, we want to teach that neutral spine now.
1: Right, and what you've just said speaks to level of training, mm-hmm. awareness, understanding of medical conditions. Yes, you might, in certain conditions, mm-hmm. ask for that flattening to happen. Mm-hmm. You might find that that takes, that that's a temporary place you have to work right. in order to get to neutral. Mm-hmm. We see that in, in private practice a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But um, But I, you know, ultimately that neutral is from where we want to move and from where we want to be. And you bring up a question around the Pilates C-spine that is important one, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and now especially that we have a lot of Pilates yoga fusion, that, uh, tucked position becomes a place of working and loading the pelvic floor within classroom situations, abs classes, um, that are, that is not beneficial. Yeah. And I'll just go ahead and say that, Yeah, controversial as it may be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, th- and because what I see in practice, too, is everyone's in, in just how life is. We, our life is in front of us. When you're yes. holding a baby, you're sitting at a computer and typing, you're sitting in a chair. It's all these curved flex positions. Yes. We need to reverse that, not just spend our time on our back crunching and crunching even more. And, and well,
1: yeah. And not only do we need to reverse it, but we need to reverse it in a way that asks permission of the body to head into, ask permission of the spine. Mm-hmm. And I know you know this, but for our listeners that, that as we extend our spine, we're, we're not just popping up into an Instagram backbend yes. that is so hard on the spine after so much forward right. sitting Holding, driving, texting—you mm-hmm. know—we need to actually work through that extension mm-hmm. so that we bring it into mid back and upper back and open the shoulder girdle in a way that that leaves us renewed and not injured. Yes, you know, lower back yoga injuries are a real epidemic, mm-hmm. and part of it comes from sitting all day and then going into yoga class and throwing up into heavy
0: back bends. Right. How do you find your balance? between work and family and you own your own business. And um, I'd love to hear because I'm inspired by you. Oh. <laughs> I wish I had a daily yoga practice and one day I, I know I will, but um, yeah. So I am
1: so imperfect. I, I It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, some days it works better than others. And mostly I try to have an intention and an, and an attention to – cultivating that daily practice. And like I said, it's some days better than others. Um, I think I am no longer in the long grass with really small children.
2: Mm.
1: I have older children now who are more independent. They can stay at home, but they're not yet driving and they haven't left the house. So um, I think my work right now, I think it changes, right? Mm -hmm. How we how we are able to find balance changes depending on what comes into our life. Um, But for me, I'm trying to make everything I do a choice Mm -hmm. and to be present with it. I could leave my kids to their own a lot more right now Mm -hmm. um, and concentrate more on my career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know I have a very limited amount of time left with them where they still want to be with me. Mm -hmm. And so I do feel really torn in every direction, and I try to, um, you know, really be present with my choice for that one moment, mm. whether it's to work or to be with my oldest while she frantically deals with her micronations project that's <laughs> taking up time this morning. <laughs> you know, and and that's that's my intention for this year, mm-hmm. this coming year, is to really be present with the choice. Yes. And to just do that
0: one thing, right? I'm done with multitasking. Yeah, oh, that's so <laughs> that's so important and powerful. It's so hard. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest with you. As many times as I hear it, it never gets old to hear. You know, when your kids are little, it's just different. When you, when as they get older and and they have more independence, I mean, I see the difference between when my daughter was newborn versus. Now she can dress herself with, you know, not every day, but some days she really wants to. And I'm like, sweet. And she can put her socks on. It's like (laughs) a whole new world has opened up. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then there's a time when you can pee by yourself. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. I was looking after a three-year-old this weekend and um, he knocked on the door the entire time I was in the shower. Yeah. And I'd forgotten what that was like. Right. You know, it's totally different. And actually, in some ways, I was totally present with being with him mm-hmm. because he was knocking on the door yeah. the entire time. <laughs> I, like, oh, I mean, goodness. and then I thought, why did I close the door? Mm-hmm. You know, like it should have just been, yes. should have just been, hey, mm-hmm. here's the three-year-old in me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it. I feel like it keeps changing. And so the best I can do is to just be present with what is at that moment mm-hmm. and to continue to make decisions that allow me to be present yes if i make a decision to take a call while i'm doing my child caring while i'm trying to make then i can't be present with anything i'm doing right so trying to make better decisions really yeah. around that um and like i said it's really imperfectly
0: represented in my life right.
1: <laughs> some days are a lot better yes. than others <laughs> <I feel you.
0: laughs> what inspires you um
1: yoga inspires me for sure and um, I do say this in class sometimes. I'm really continually inspired by um, the first four yoga threads, sutras. Mm-hmm. Which are, and I come back to it whenever I can't find inspiration from anything else, or I feel a little low, or dark, or lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Because within those first four teachings are like yoga's promise and also my get out of jail card, Mm. my allowance to be human, which is that it begins with now begins the teaching of yoga. Yoga stills the turning of the mind, which is like such an amazing promise. And then the third one is even better. Mm -hmm. And then the seer or the seeker resides in her true self. Oh my gosh! Yes, that is such a promise. And then number four comes, and you get your get out of jail card. At other times, you identify with the turning of the mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like, yeah, that's mostly my days. Sometimes, sometimes you get
0: caught up in the. <clears throat> mostly,
1: in I get <throat> caught up in the turning of the mind, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever happening happen is happening in traffic in front of me, or my children, or my job, or all of that, mm-hmm. um, and then. And then sometimes if I can sit with my breath and align my breath and movement and use all of my yogic tools, I can reside in my true self mm. and feel joy and sometimes even a joy that's not attached to anything else, mm. that's just all around me. And that inspires me. Mm. And then my clients inspire me because they change. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: the human capacity for change is pretty amazing. I would agree with that.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Any
1: other? Yoga should not be a source of guilt. Okay. Like we come as we are. And that's also part of um, a lot of, I hear it all the time. Oh, I should do yoga. mm. I said it. <laughs> I,
0: uh, I forgot that you yeah. said it. Yes. Or maybe I, I said I want to. I do want to. Or I, I think to. you I said you know hope that. to have a daily yes, practice. I, I don't yeah. think I used the word should. No,
1: but should so. is the one I hear all the time. I should do yoga. Oh, I should do that. Mm. Should And it becomes this stumbling block. I don't have the props at home. I don't have a studio I like. Right? Yoga takes so many shapes. It could just be noticing the breath in your nostrils. Mm. Um, That can be yoga. Mm-hmm. I do share this other thing in class sometimes or with clients. There's this photo in an old Ashtanga yoga book for women. It comes out of a center in North London. And I was lucky enough to practice there, and so I know that they really live what's in that book. And um, there's a woman right at the very end of her pregnancy. She's absolutely massive, and she's standing on her mat crying, and -hmm. she can't see her feet, Mm -hmm. and she can't bend over. And all she can do is stand on her mat. Mm. Now that's a very advanced practice to still get on your mat and yeah. stand there and cry. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect that from everybody. But it's understanding that, that we show up. We come as we are. Mm. And that, that eventually yoga will welcome you mm-hmm. however you decide to come.
2: Mm.
1: I think it should not be a source of guilt. I suspect you and I would probably agree on this, although we've never talked about it. I think having children is kind of a big red herring mm-hmm. for pelvic life. It can often be, or a fertility journey can often be the moment at which a woman becomes aware of her pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. But for many of us, it's, a, it's some sexual experience or trauma way before that. Mm-hmm. We have this pelvic floor way before a fertility journey if we choose to go on a fertility journey.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so a lot of women who live with pelvic dysfunction who haven't had children think that somehow they haven't had have kids, so they shouldn't have a pelvic floor, yeah, or they shouldn't have a pelvic issue,
0: oh, I just got the question with a patient I've seen who had a c section mm-hmm. uh-huh. and she's very she was baffled why she has pelvic floor dysfunction and she's right. having symptoms, but she didn't give birth that I should be
1: fine, I didn't have a baby through yeah. my vagina, yes, is that mm-hmm. like
0: because that's the you know people think, oh, if you push a baby out of your vagina then things go wrong. But right. no, you carried a baby for 10 months and had all that pressure and that weight on your body, which is why I just love to see people when they're pregnant, before they're even pregnant, to see how they're breathing, how they're yes dealing with their intra-abdominal pressure because I think that really makes or breaks it where you have the same person, two different people carrying the same weight baby throughout a pregnancy, why does one, and we don't know really, you know, we don't have the data to show why one will get diastasis, that abdominal separation, and the other not. Why is one dealing with incontinence, the other one doesn't? So
1: No, we don't. And we're probably never going to have data that explains right. that to us, but I think that if we could incorporate more preventative care and more self-care earlier on in women's lives, mm. it would make a huge difference. They themselves might very well know then and be able to tell their care providers. Mm. Um, I have one child who had... Um, abdominal hernias mm. and already lives with abdominal separation. And that's something that I'll be talking to her about as she carries into any fertility journey she wants to experience or mm-hmm. any pregnancies. Um, and so I, I think that that's rare for someone to grow up knowing that about their own body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's just like you say, people have a pelvic floor way before. Mm hmm. And so they could carry the same size baby. They could have a very similar labor and delivery, but they had a pelvic floor before all of this happened. Right. They have ways of holding. They have a life before it happens.
0: Mm I agree. Yeah. What is the best way to contact you or to find out more about your business if people want to get in touch with you? So I have a really information-filled
1: website Um, It's plsyoga.com, which Mm -hmm. is like please yoga, P-L-S yoga, but it's my initials. (laughs) And um, there's a contact form on there and my teaching schedule's on there. I've recently scaled back my public teaching to so I can serve more private clients. Um, That may shift. It will always be on my website. And you can contact me through the email form or my email address is on there. Great. I hold regular pelvic health education events. I'm so glad you're going to be a guest at one of them. <laughs> There'll be three in the spring. so And there's one for people living in pain, one for pre- and postpartum women, and one for athletes mm-hmm. um, with different guests like you yep. each time, which is exciting. And I'll be teaching on the Vista Yoga 300-hour yoga teacher training, oh, which is really exciting. The first weekends will be coming up in early 2019, okay. and all the marketing will be going out for that soon with class descriptions. I'll be teaching a weekend on women's health, yoga and women's health, yes. also experiential anatomy, mm-hmm. and then some weekends for yoga teachers in particular. So the women's health and the anatomy are open to the public, mm, Okay, and then there are a few just for
0: yoga teachers. Okay. And Great.
1: I'll be clear.
0: And is that where you're doing the group classes now, Vista Yoga? So
1: I teach a therapeutics class there. I teach a postnatal class where moms can bring their babies. Okay. Um, I also teach at Sacred Chill West over on Bolton Road on the clear other side of town. Um, I teach a power class there, which is all about listening to what strength means in your body. Yeah. And it's non-heated, but it's flow-based. Okay. And then I teach a yin class there too. Okay.
0: And yin is? Yin
1: is a long-held practice. Okay targeting connective tissue in the body Mm -hmm. reservoirs of energy and fluid Mm -hmm. um it's not restorative
0: okay it's a different kind of practice okay yeah you said yin and i was thinking restorative but okay different they're both long held but they're different practices yeah okay yeah great i'm so glad to have been here i cannot thank you enough for your time and for coming in it is a joy i feel like we could talk a lot longer i want to honor your time and thank you um just thank you thank you thank you
1: wow i'm so excited to be a part of this podcast